Welcome to the Riverside Project podcast. We are mobilizing Houston to empower families and transform generations. We hope these conversations will give you a greater understanding of the issues facing our community and inspire you to find your place along the river. Our guest today is Chandrika Easley, Deputy Regional Director at the Department of Family Protective Services, or DFPS. Chandrika has been working with the department for over 15 years. She's worked in various roles dur- during that time and has served all 13 counties across the Houston area. Chandrika, we're really grateful that you're here with us today and excited to chat with you a little bit. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, well, You've been with the department for 15 years. Um, you've had a variety of different roles. Share with me a little bit about your journey into the child welfare space and just um, what that trajectory has looked like over the last over a decade. Um, so I, I actually, when I graduated college, I started out working at a residential treatment center. And a lot of those kids had like really like incredible circumstances. And I really wanted to know like what was on the other side of those circumstances. Um, and I I really had very limited experience or knowledge of children's protective services. And and so I learned that a lot of them were in care. So I was like, well, how do I, how can I change that those circumstances if I can at all? So I applied and, and here I am 15 years later. Um, and what I found is that, um, you know, I recognize like what, it looks like for a kid to be at a residential treatment center on Christmas. Um, I recognize like the importance of like those staff members and them pouring into those kids and how those relationships are formed. I learned sign language because of those kids. All right. All the skills you didn't think that you would pick up in and, this space. Right. You just <laughs> pick them up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it was just, uh, it was, it was a really, um, it was a really incredible experience. Um, and that's how I, I got here. Yeah. Yeah. It's those those things that you never thought that you would step into. Did you always want to work in this space? You know, what motivated you to step into an RTC right out of college? Is that something that you you thought of early on in your life that you wanted to work in in this type of environment? No, actually, I I went to school and was like, I'm going to be a secondary education teacher. And that is final. And then when I graduated, it just didn't feel authentic. It didn't feel real to me. Um, so I needed a job, of course, because things were happening around me. So it's like, hey, let's just go get a job. Generally positions open and in right. RTC. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's that's how it happened. Okay. Um, well, share a little bit about once you started working in the department and the different roles that you've had there and you know how you have come to step into this n- newer role um, as a um, deputy regional director. What does that, all of that look like? Um, so I started out as a caseworker in Montgomery County, um, was there for four years, promoted to supervision in Harris County. Uh, from there was a program director in Harris County, was a program director in Outline County, was a trainer in Harris County, um, then promoted to a program administrator in Harris County and now promoted to deputy regional director here in Harris County. Um, and so, and, and I cover all 13 mm-hmm. counties, uh, along with the regional director, uh, Alicia Fisher. And so, um, 
those roles, uh, even in training, like you, it, the roles are all very similar. It's all centered around child safety. Um, in training, you're uh, instructing people about how to create child safety. Um, in as a caseworker, I'm charged with visiting kids every month. Even as a director, you never manager, get away from you that. Never get away yeah. from visiting kids every month. And so, um, something that I. I've tried to do in every role is I've tried to be a doer. Um, I don't like to leave, you know, regardless of station, regardless of, of position, everybody should be doing the same work. Um, and so I really try to keep my skills sharp and try to help my staff whenever I can. That's great. That I'm sure that that the desire to stay in relationship with the kids and stay in relationship with your, the caseworkers under you has been probably really helpful for the rest of the team, I would assume. You know, if everyone steps in as a doer and carries the work together, we we all benefit and the kids benefit, right? Absolutely. What does your day to day look like? What is, you know, on a t I'm sure every I've talked to Alicia before when she's been on this podcast and I know the reality is every day looks really different. Um, but what is kind of a typical, you know, what are the things that you're working on? What are the challenges that you're facing every day? You know, what is if you can kind of give people a lens to look through into the life of a deputy regional director? Um, what does that look like? Um, so uh, every day is different, of course. Um, I would say that. Uh, Right now, you know, we are obviously have children without placement. And so that is uh, probably our top priority is making sure that that piece is squared away. Um, and then you get into the meat of, you know, case staffings, uh, you know, making sure our workforce is 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 stable, making sure um, all of those things are, are taken care of. And so on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, I might be in a court hearing or I might uh, be in a, a case staffing. I might be in a HR staffing. And it just, it, it really just mm -hmm. depends. Um, but I, every day have to check my calendar and crazy enough, you know, you get up in the morning and no matter how many times I look at my calendar, I still have to look back at it like eight times. I'm like, I'm sure I'm missing something, mm -hmm. but I, I rely very heavily on my calendar and everybody around me to really keep me together. Mm -hmm. um, it really takes a team. Oh yeah, for sure. And I know, I know we always talk a lot about challenges um, and it's important to talk about challenges and how do we overcome them? How do we come together and fix the things that are kind of broken? Um, but we don't often find spaces to talk about what we're celebrating. Um, I know, you know, like I said, there's a lot of places in the media, there's a lot of places and just all the conversations and meetings that I see you in. We're always talking about how do we overcome these challenges? What are you celebrating right now? What is your team celebrating? What are the, the kind of the high points that um, that you can share with us of just what's going super well right now? Um, I think we have a really set of resilient uh, caseworkers, admins, um, managers, we have a really resilient workforce. And like, regardless of like everything going on around us, like we really try to stay focused on the mission. We recently celebrated National Adoption Day and we had some really great stories that came out of National Adoption Day. Um, just some things that like, especially our older youth getting adopted, it was so remarkable to see them celebrate being with a family, being in a family and belonging and being loved, it was really great to see. And so those things really outweigh everything. Mm -hmm. uh, seeing those connections, seeing a 17-year-old find permanency outweighs 
every bad day that that you've ever had. So yeah, those things have been really great lately. It seems like when you when we dial down into the individual stories, you know, there are really rough and, and difficult stories out there. Yes, but I think when we look at kind of the system as a whole, what we hear is it's broken, or we hear that you know, like I said about the challenges. But it's almost when we like really drill down and talk to the people who are doing the work every day, we actually can start pulling out some of that beautiful fruit that is actually happening under the surface that we don't always hear about. And so, I yeah, I love hearing um, those stories too. Is there is there any particular story that comes to mind? that um that you can share not you know obviously the details of it but is there um any particular kind of story of success or or story like that that you're able to kind of share with us um we had a a kid who you know had a number of placement disruptions um but there even the the placement that actually consummated just stuck it out with him even though he was placed outside of her home she stayed connected with him and never gave up on him and so that consummation was like really really special because every good day he's had every bad day mm-hmm. he's had she has seen him and loved him past all those things and so those things are are really great um and even our kids in child watch you know we had uh, we've had some really rough patches um but like here lately, I feel like we've almost turned the corner in that our kids, even in those those difficult days, like they're finding ways to express themselves. Mm-hmm. They're saying, I'm I'm upset. They're using a little bit of profanity, but they're I can take that. Like I can take that. Let's talk about it. You're upset. Why? And like those things really I I love when they're able to articulate themselves mm-hmm. when they feel safe enough to say, I'm upset because this is what's going on. Or I want to go to the beauty supply. That's my favorite one. Because I want to go to the beauty supply too. So I get it, right? Um, but those things are like really where most people might find those things frustrating. I think that those things are evidence of our growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a sign that they're using their voice, even though sometimes it's in a manner that may not be um, exactly what we want. But it is, I think there's a little bit of trust there that you're able to see, like you said, they're trusting enough to say, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what's hurting. This is what I, you know, don't like. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of those relationships that we always come back to um, yes. and building that. Is there anything else that you can pinpoint on? You mentioned kind of the 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 corner kind of being turned and something kind of shifting. What do you think that that has to do with um, and kind of what, why do you think that that is? What, what's making that happen? So we really sat down and had some robust conversations about not just like managing behaviors, but filling the space with things that they might like. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we love to dial up a good behavior intervention plan or, you know, we love to dial up a plan. Uh, but we realized that that plan didn't include things that kids liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to shift our focus. Um, so one of our youth um, identifies as LGBTQ. And so we had to find things for her in that space that she could link herself to. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, go to this therapist, you know, do this pal class you you feel you feel disconnected from everybody else let's connect you with other folks um and so we really just had to change our lens mm-hmm. um these kids are not like we were when we were growing up everybody's changing and evolving and we have the system has to do it with these kids and these families yeah we're learning from them just as much as we're teaching them absolutely right? 
Yeah. One of the things I've been so impressed with, um, I sit in meetings with you guys every once in a while, and the accessibility that for both you and Leisha, you're always willing to say to providers, hey, if you need something, call me. If you need something, email me. You know, you give your cell phone number out. And I'm like, I can't believe that you do this (laughs) because there's so many providers out there. Houston is huge. And we have so many people that are doing this work. Um, But over and over and over again, both of you say, we are here to support you. We are here to get you what you need so that the kids that we're serving get what they need. And so um, why, do you, what, why do you do that? What's um, kind of the philosophy there um, to make yourself so accessible um, to everyone? And, and how do you manage that kind of schedule? I can't imagine how many phone calls you get every day. We actually, you know what? Surprisingly, it's not as frequent. Um, but when we do, like, it's it's really... The the provider, it really just needs to be heard um, mm-hmm. a lot of times. Um, providers have a hard job. This is hard work. And can you explain what a provider is? I didn't really specify that. Sure. But what is a what is a provider in the uh, child welfare space? Uh, so CPAs, uh, child placing agencies, mm-hmm. uh, foster homes, general residential operations, GROs and RTCs, residential treatment centers that care for our kids that are in substitute care. Um, they have a really hard job. Um, the landscape of child welfare is ever changing. The landscape of licensing is changing. Um, again, kids are, are changing. And so to meet the needs of everybody around them to meet the needs of their staff they need sometimes they just need a sounding board yeah sometimes they need just need just somebody to validate that they're right sometimes they need somebody to say okay well you got to call this person instead of this person because this region is so vast um so without that level of collaboration between Leisha and I and the providers between DFPS and the providers it doesn't work our kids don't get cared for and right. we recognize that so it's really important that we're accessible so i'm always going to put my time or my needs aside to make sure that i'm responsive in answering them so that our kids needs can be met yeah Gosh, that's a hard job to to care for not only the kids that are in the system, but also caring for all of the providers and making sure that they have what they need. Um, and so I know that they appreciate that a whole lot. Um, one of the last meetings that we were at, we talked a little bit about this new START program. Um, can you share a little bit about what that is and why it was needed and just kind of how it's working? I think I've been very impressed with it. I'm really excited about it. And I hope that um, it becomes um, just a trajectory into kind of a new way of dealing with kids that are in um, in crisis. But can you share a little bit about about that program? Sure. Um, so a couple of months ago, DFPS entered into a relationship with Harris County Psychiatric Center. Um, and we have 20 beds at that psychiatric center that care for girls, specifically ages 12 to 17, that are in acute psychiatric crisis. Okay. Um, those beds are... Um, those beds are for those kids. Um, the certain there are certain requirements, um, like the IQ of the child has to be, I believe it's eighty two and above, um, in order to basically in order to get what they need from that program. Mm-hmm. Um, but that program takes a different approach in that they are treating the whole child. Um, they are making sure that. All every need is met before discharge. Um, they uh, the the length of the program is different in that um, they're not just making sure that kid is no longer acute, but they're making sure that they're ready to transition to yeah. that next placement. Um, and so 
I've been particularly impressed with the level of responsiveness from mm-hmm. um, HCPC, the doctors and how well they know the kids and um, how well they describe the group settings and how the kids are responding to therapy and how the kids are responding to each other. Um, and I really like how the social workers, when we get ready for discharge, the social workers have input or um, they are able to be a kind of a second voice for the kids to talk about placement types. Um, And they they honestly they assist in motivating a youth to go to placement or to re-explore placement back with family. They really have kind of bridged the gap as far as mental health um, is concerned. And even if the kid has to go back, uh, they're from they're familiar with that kid. If a mm-hmm. kid has to, um, if a kid is returning home, they're involving that placement in the treatment so that that transition is successful. Yeah, and we talk about transitions a lot and how vital a good, healthy transition um, and a kind of streamlined transition with the kid is is so important. Um, is there and and this is a little bit different than from what I've heard. <clears throat> with other um, RTC or group home providers saying, hey, when a kid goes into crisis, all we can do is send them to the psych hospital. And typically it's a really quick turnaround. They kind of send them in and out over the weekend and nothing really happens. And it kind of seems like this kind of revolving door in some of this, these circumstances. And so what you mentioned is it kind of the start program is a little bit longer. They can stay there longer. They can actually get on their feet. Um, aside from like just the healthy transitions, what else can you point to that's that makes this different um, than kind of that normal revolving door? What what do you what can you point to to really show that it's it's different? It's it's actually helping the kids to stabilize. I think it's the type of uh, treatment. Um, mm-hmm. it- it clearly is more intensive. Um, they're talking about family of origin issues. Um, they have the time to delve into those things that treatment is trauma informed. Um, and they also often uncover other things that we weren't aware of. Um, uh, one uh, child in particular did have um, some developmental um, uh, issues that we were completely unaware of. She was new to care and it was really um I guess important for her to go there and get that treatment because we found out that she also had some health issues. She was a cancer survivor. We did not know this from the time that she came into care. And so this was something, this also assisted us obviously in making sure all of her medical needs were met. Mm -hmm. And so it helped us really uncover so many other things about these kids because that length of stay aided us in getting that information. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what it does to just kind of sit with that kid longer when the kids move so quickly from one placement to the mm-hmm. other. It's like who is actually sitting with them long enough to uncover those types of things mm-hmm. and to understand their full background and scope. Um, there's so many people in their lives, but unless we sit and we un- uncover all of those things and talk to one another, those things get missed often. Um, and speaking really on the mental health side, we know that when you said kids are different these days um, that are in care, um, the population of youth that we serve are a little bit different than they were maybe 15 or 20 years ago. A lot of that has to do with the mental health and behavioral health challenges. How have you, can you speak a little bit more in detail to that and you know how how are they different? Um, what types of needs are different? And then how are we trying to shift the system to accommodate you know, those kids and their needs. I think that, um, and I, I talk about this even with like my own nieces and nephews, like when I was in high school, 
we didn't have the pressures of social media and things to influence us. Um, and so I think that um, our uh, kids have a level of probably anxiety and depression that we are unfamiliar with because of outside pressures pressures and outside influences. Um, there uh, is an entire culture d- dedicated to vaping and using drugs that's made these things glamorous or socially acceptable that our kids have to deal with that we we did not have that added pressure. And so dealing with those things um, and also then for kids that are in foster care, there is the added pressure of not fitting in or not belonging or not feeling loved or wanted. So there are yeah. so many levels of things that they're dealing with that yeah. it's very new to us. And so um, we really, again, we have to change our lens and understand that this is not just, I want to act out. Right. This is a whole host of other things that we're unfamiliar with. And so the only way we get familiar with those things is we t- we talk about it. We ask questions. We ask past, did you do your homework or how are you feeling? Are you hungry? We ask questions past that. I um, mean, we give them the space or the latitude to express themselves so that we learn how to treat them. Yeah. What other supports do you feel like we need to really get to a point where we're, um, you know, we've we've kind of overcome and really have a, a system that's able to care for those kids to their fullest? Um, do you feel like there's additional supports are needed or maybe just time to really understand? Um, what do you think gets us there? I think time um, and I'm. we really found that like mentor support is mm-hmm really helpful um, for these kids. Somebody outside of DFPS, somebody that they don't recognize. And who's not paid to be in their life right. is what we hear a lot. Right. Somebody Someone else to that be there. they can relate to and be there with them. We've really found our Pearls and Eagles program to be beneficial. And Pearls and Eagles is a mentor program uh, put forth by our court system. Um, but we've really found that those folks are beneficial. And again, like building like healthy social relationships, our kids go and they interact with each other. You know, of course they have like normal things, but we found that those things, it's healthy, it's normal. They need that level of normalcy. So again, that time and mentorship is going to be crucial to turning the corner, to getting our kids to a better place. Yeah, you, we say it a lot. You know, you can have all the programs and services in the world, but if you don't have any healthy relationships to flush those things out and to work on, um, it makes it really hard to really find that type of healing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, what would you say to, you know, a foster family starting out or a, pro, a provider? Um, what do you feel like is the the a main piece of kind of advice or um, just encouragement to all of those people that are kind of underneath you in the system that you are, you know, helping to support. There's one thing that you can just say to them. What would what would it be? Um, just hang in there. Um, but not only that. It, whenever those, I, I, we've had the the pleasure of n- not being able to, you know, when a kid is acting out we're not able to to turn our backs right we we have to stick in there we have to hang in there um there've been nights where it's been 2 and 3 in the morning and we're still going round and round with the screaming and you know trying to you know offer a, a gentle hug and trying to ask what's wrong and you know in in those moments hang in there but also 
have somebody that can help you with those things, have somebody that you can debrief with. And that's why, again, that provider relationship with the department is really important. Um, It's really important for us to partner with them and not just leave them hanging in those instances. And for us to understand that this is difficult work Mm -hmm. um, and we have to support them. Uh, We can't just be at the table saying, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? We have to say, what are we going to do to make this better? Yeah. Step in, stick with them and stick with each other. Um, Do it together as a team. That's good. Um, Well, coming up on our last five minutes, we have started doing kind of a last five questions in the last five minutes. And so I have five kind of quick questions for you that are a little bit more personal, not not so much just about your job. Um, So here's number one. You probably don't get to take a whole lot of breaks um, these days, but if you were to picture um, your favorite or, um, you know, say you get a little bit of time off, maybe a week, maybe a few days, um, and you had no limits on your time, no limits on how much it costs, what would be the ideal time off vacation for you? Um, the Bahamas, yeah. uh, the water, the is beach, your beautiful. beach person. Oh, yeah. I love the beach. <laughs> I love to just take a quick dip in the water, come back sleep in the sun. Like, it's just, it's wonderful. I love the beach. Going with people, going alone. What's your preference? Going with people. Going with people. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Number two, what was, we talked about this very, very briefly, but what was your dream job as a kid? If you can go back to maybe your first dream job, what did you want to be? You mentioned a teacher, but was there anything before that? Yeah. I I love to sing. I wanted to be a singer, actor, just, you know, wanted to just be on the stage. Do you, do you sing now? Do you have an album out there, a secret that we need to uncover and bring on the I, podcast? I do not. Uh, I have a lot of mixtapes in my head, but okay. uh, do you ever sing for people? I, I have before, yes. Okay. I have before. That's so exciting. Things I never knew about you. Uh, number three, who has been the most influential person in your life? Um, my parents. Uh, How so? They, one, there's a lot of us. Uh, I have I have three uh I have two brothers, a uh, stepsister uh, and three stepbrothers and very large blended family. Um, and so my parents, one, to have fed all of us is just miraculous. Um, but also, like, you know, I've seen my parents come from almost nothing. My dad is one of 10. Uh, my mom, even though she's an only child, like she, you know, comes from a large family as well. And so each of them, like, they just have this resilience about them that they just, they never stop. They never stop. They're, my mom is a caretaker. She's going to take care of everybody all the time. She took care of my nephew, everybody else's kids. And so just that has been, you know, just really awesome to see. And so I just want to emulate those same things. Yeah, it sounds like that you are emulating those things every day. Um, number four, what is something that people are generally surprised to find out about you? We've already covered one of them, <laughs> but what's another one that people are generally surprised to find out about you? I I have this really, I'm a kid of the 90s for sure. And so like 90s trivia, you could probably ask me anything. I also was babysat by the television. Uh, so every 90s television uh, jingle commercial, I probably know. It's just a weird talent. Um, okay. I know movies by heart, dream girls, the entire stage play by heart. It's just a very thing to com- odd thing to commit to memory, but I do. Okay. So if anybody's out there that's going to a trivia night and it's all about the 90s, call Sandrika Easley. Yes. Uh, she would be glad to give herself a yes. <laughs> Okay. Last thing. Um, what is something that you are most proud of in your life so far? I, 
this question stumped me. Um, I I don't I don't know. I mean, I think that as a kid, like I could never like envision myself like doing small things like driving. Like, oh my gosh, I'm driving. Um, but I think just like just getting up every day, like mm-hmm. things get hard. Like there are days when I'm like. I do not want to do this, but just getting up every day and really recognizing that this is bigger than me. This is way bigger than me. And like realizing that I have an opportunity to change the trajectory of somebody's life is a big responsibility that I don't take lightly. So the days when I don't feel like it, I just get up and I try to make it happen. So I, I guess that's it. Yeah, I think that is a lot to be proud of. I think the work that you do every day is really, really important. I think you know that, you said that, um, but you should be proud of it, absolutely. Um, and I think I'm proud of it. I um, I get to see the work that you do. I get to see the work that Leisha does. And I, I don't see it with rose-colored lenses. I see the challenges and I see the struggles. And I think we all do as a community. Um, but I, um, I think that I can speak for most, at least if not all of the providers, when they say that we are proud of the leadership that we have. Um, and excited to keep working. Um, So I really appreciate your time um, just spending it with us and sharing just a little bit about what's been going on. Thank you. To those listening, we hope these conversations have inspired you to find your place along the river. And we welcome you to join us in bringing hope and renewal to the city of Houston. If you'd like more information on how to get involved, please visit riversideproject.org and submit a contact form. We'll see you next time.